Amen. Good evening, everyone. I want to add my Merry Christmas to you. It is so good to see you here this evening for Christmas Eve at Lake City. Thanks for being here. And I especially want to welcome you. If this is your very first time at Lake City, please just sit back and relax and enjoy the rest of what we have planned for you tonight. So have you ever had one of those days? You know, one of those days when things just seem to go wrong. Get out of bed and uh, sort of one thing after the next thing goes bad. Maybe you spill coffee on yourself or maybe you get angry and kick the dog or you get stuck in traffic and uh, maybe it's I-5 or someplace else and you're, you're late to an appointment or you're late to class or you're late to work. And before long, you feel like, man, I just wish I could go back to bed. What a day. That's the kind of day when you really, really need the peace of God in your heart. And sometimes it's not just a day, but it's more like a week or a month or even much longer than that. Things just sort of pile on you. Well, for the last three weeks around here, we've been traveling through a promise. It's a promise of hope that God gave to people about 2,700 years ago. The promise was God's Christmas present, about God's Christmas present to us, to us. And the crux of it is contained in one of the verses that Red's just read for us, Isaiah 9-6. I'm going to ask you to read this verse aloud with me. Let's go. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And tonight our Christmas series reaches its climax as we talk about the huge promise of hope that God made to us. That even in our darkness and even in our despair and even in our hard times, God chose to send us a Prince of Peace. Among all of these titles, he's our Prince of Peace. Jesus is the governor of well-being. He's the leader of satisfaction. He's the ruler of peace. And friends, this is the climax of Isaiah's promise. And if we fully understand and embrace who he is, I think we'll see Jesus just a little bit differently for the rest of our lives. Now today it's pretty rare to find people who are truly, truly at peace. As a pastor, I talk to a lot of people, and many of them are looking for peace. That's just sort of the job of a pastor. I talk to lots and lots of people, and I often meet people who are stressed out, and they might be dealing with this problem or, or that issue, and, it, and it's pretty safe for me to say this. The human heart longs for peace and hope. Wouldn't you agree? Our hearts long for peace and hope. One of my favorite stories about Christmas Eve comes from back in 1914 during World War I, and it sort of highlights this longing for peace and hope. It was 1914, and World War I was getting going, being fought in Europe, and Christmas Eve settled in on the battlefield. The divide between the opposing forces was known as no man's land the sliver of space between the opposing trenches. No one 
wanted to venture into no man's land because death was almost certain there. Yet that's where the Christmas truce took place. Both sides had dug in for a long battle. And in many places, they were no more than 150 feet apart in their trenches. That first Christmas of war in 1914, those trenches had become muddy, frozen, disease-ridden places of death. But on Christmas Eve, we're talking 105 years ago, the German soldiers had received boxes of gifts from home, including small trees and candles. And they took those out of the boxes and began placing the trees on the edge of their trenches and on their gun parapets and, and began lighting the candles, much to the bewilderment of the Allied forces. Although the British and French and soldiers didn't understand the German lyrics, for the most part at least, they certainly understood the tunes of the carols they heard. As the German soldiers began to sing, still not. The British soldiers began to sing Silent Night, as well as the first Noel, and on. By Christmas morning, no man's land was the scene of soldiers from both sides coming out of their trenches and meeting. Peace broke out as they shared chocolate and other treats from home. The soldiers from one side brought out photos of their families and their sweethearts, and they shared them with the other side. A soccer game was played, actually. They also buried one another's dead while singing solemn hymns together. All of this unfolded in broken language in a barren place known as no man's land. All was done in this moment of peace in the spirit of Christmas. That truce lasted until New Year's Day. Officers from both sides ordered their troops to resume the fight. But these soldiers couldn't now, could not now kill the men whose wives and girlfriends and children they'd seen pictures of and with those with whom they sang songs and exchanged gifts. They just couldn't do it. Both sides were threatened with court-martials, but to no avail. The only solution was to make this mass transfer of troops to other places on the front. The Christmas truce, as it was called, is a sweet testimony of how the human heart longs for peace and hope. And the good news, the good news that we celebrate at Christmas is that God has provided this for us. We can have hope because Jesus gives peace. Jesus came to bring peace to our world. And I want to show you a few verses about that tonight. If you'll take out your sermon notes or open up your sermon app on the church app, it'll help you follow along this evening. So we've already seen that 700 years before he was born, the prophet Isaiah predicted that Jesus would be called the Prince of Peace. He would come as the Prince of Peace. But I want to check out a few other passages in God's Word with you. For example, do you remember what the angels said that very first Christmas when they announced the birth of the Savior? Remember what they said? Let's let that great theologian Linus share that with us tonight, all right? Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? 
Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So Isaiah predicted peace. And when Jesus was born, the angels announced peace. And throughout his life, Jesus brought peace to all kinds of people. This is what Jesus said right before he went back to heaven. This is significant. He spoke these words to his disciples. He said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus said that only he can provide the, the peace that he gives. You can't buy it. You can't find it in an experience or in a pill. This is a peace that only comes from him. It's not anything like the peace our world has to offer us. What kind of peace do we get from the world? Well, it's phony, it's temporary, it's fragile. I mean, how many peace treaties have been broken in our world? Practically every one, right? So this Christmas, as we think about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, I want to ask and answer two questions with you. First, exactly what kind of peace does Jesus give us? And secondly, how do we get it? What are the steps to receiving his peace? But first I want to say this. I don't know what your background is tonight. I don't know if you've had a very, very good year or a very hard year or maybe somewhere in between. Undoubtedly, some of you are pretty tired and worn out this evening. Maybe you've had a stressful, pretty tough year. And if that's true, I just want to say you've picked a really good night to come to church. Because Jesus wants to be your personal Prince of Peace. So here's the first question. What is this peace all about? What kind of peace is he offering us? Now there's three different kinds of peace that we read about in Scripture, in God's Word. Think of three big categories of peace. See, there's actually almost 800 verses in God's Word that talk about peace. So this is an important subject. And if you summarize all of those verses, basically this is what you see. There's three kinds of peace. First is spiritual peace. Second is emotional peace. And third is relational peace. Or you might think of it this way. There's eternal peace, that's peace with God. Then there's internal peace, that's peace with yourself. And then there's external peace or peace with others. So let's look at these three kinds of peace that Jesus came to give us, all right? 
Number one is peace with God. Peace with God. And that's the spiritual peace. And this is the most important one of all because it affects everything else. It's foundational. You know how when a relationship is strained and stressed, that it just sort of makes everything else in your life sort of off? Well, nothing is more, nothing does that more than when you're out of whack with God. And the Bible is clear that the first thing that Jesus came to do was restore peace between us and God our Father. The Bible is clear that that's the first thing he did. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He sent Christ to make peace between himself and us. So why do we need that kind of peace anyway? Because any time I choose to go my own way, or I decide I don't need God in my life, any time I choose to do what I want to do instead of what God says to do, that's actually an act of rebellion against God. That puts me in conflict with God. And the Bible says when I'm in conflict with God, there's no peace. I feel like God is a million miles away because I'm sort of disconnected from him. But friends, God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. He made you and me for intimacy with him. So here's what the Bible says about that. Romans 5.12 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because of what Jesus did, what he did for us. See, peace with God doesn't come through what we do. We can never be good enough to earn peace or to earn right standing with God. No, peace with God comes through what Jesus already did for us. He died on a cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. And that's how we receive peace. We put our faith in what he already did. And really, that's what Christmas is all about. That's why Jesus was born. Remember when the wise men brought their gifts to Jesus? Let's do a little review. The, the three gifts of the wise men, again, were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. One little boy said they brought gifts of gold, frankenstein, and myrtle. We know better, right? What's the significance of those three gifts? I mean, those aren't exactly the best-selling gifts this year for babies at Toys R Us, right? Anybody buy myrrh for anybody on your Christmas list? I doubt it, okay? See, myrrh is an embalming spice. It represents burial. It represents death. Myrrh foreshadowed that Jesus came to die so that we can have peace with God. That's the first kind of peace, peace with God. And the second kind of peace is peace within. Peace with myself. And that's an emotional kind of peace. The Bible calls this the peace of God. When I have peace with God, then I can have the peace of God in me. Colossians 3.15 says this, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, the word for peace in the Bible is the Hebrew word shalom. And I think you're probably familiar with the word shalom. And shalom means far more than just ending of hostilities. It means well-being. It means happiness. Really, it means sort of a satisfied heart. 
In fact, the Jewish people use shalom as, as a greeting as well. They use it to say hello, they use it to say goodbye. And really, it's sort of this wish for peace to the other person. Listen to what Paul wrote about it, Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Paul says here that God gives us a peace that passes understanding. What's that mean? Well, it's beyond our comprehension, okay? In other words, normally in bad circumstances, I wouldn't have much peace, but God gives us a supernatural peace even in the midst of our problems. Peace that passes understanding. And I want to say this to you tonight. God has a peace for every problem that you have right now and every problem that you will ever experience. God has a peace. If you have a health problem, he has a peace for that. If you have a relational problem, he has a peace for that too. If you have a financial problem, God has a peace for that. Whatever you are dealing with, God wants to fill you with his peace about that very thing. One more verse that I like is Isaiah 26.3. You, Lord, give true peace to those who depend upon you because they trust in you. And my prayer tonight is that you will experience true peace, the peace that Jesus came to give you. And then there's a third kind of peace, and that's a peace with other people, a peace with others. Jesus gives us peace with God. He gives us peace within. He also gives us a peace with others. That's a relational peace. Listen, the further away that we get from God, the more that messes up our relationships with everyone else. Have you seen that? For example, if, if I want to strengthen my marriage, it means I just need to get closer to God. When two people are close to God, it can't help but bring them closer to each other. But the more at odds I am with God, the more that makes me at odds with other people. That's just the way God has wired us. So let me show you a couple of verses about relational peace. The first one is Romans 12.8. Paul writes here, he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Friends, that's God's will. That's his commandment to us. Live at peace with all men is another translation of it. But notice those words, so far as it depends on you. You see, sometimes we don't have a lot of control about this, do we? Sometimes in our relationships with people, we can do everything in our power to be at peace, but they're just not having it, okay? They're not interested in, it, in a good relationship. Listen, beloved, you can do your part, and you need to do your part, and then just trust that relationship to God. A good example of that is uh, marriage sometimes. The Apostle Paul wrote this about marriage, and he wrote this because he was answering some questions that his friends in Corinth had asked him about marriage and about divorce. So listen to these words that Paul wrote. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to what? Peace. It's an unusual place to see that word. God has called us to peace. And I share this example with you because it's probably the most extreme one there is relationally. 
Paul says, when an unbelieving spouse can't tolerate your faith and they decide to leave, it's best just to let it happen and know that you can still experience his peace. You can't change them. You're not under bondage to hang on and try to change their mind. Let them leave and allow God to fill you with his peace and even to give you his peace with that person. So Jesus gives us three kinds of peace. And these three kinds of peace build upon each other. First, we need peace with God. And then we experience peace within us. And then we have peace with each other. That brings us to the second question I want to look at with you tonight. And that is, how do we receive God's gift of peace? How do we get this? In fact, you might be wondering tonight if we really can experience God's peace in our life. I mean, it sounds wonderful, but is it really transferable to us like that? And the answer is absolutely yes. It's a gift that God wants each one of us to have. Listen to how it's described in 2 Peter 1. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. We acquire God's peace and God's grace as we get to know the Lord Jesus better and better. And the reason is because he's the only source of this peace. So here's some practical steps, some things we need to do if we want to receive this peace. And the first step is to recognize that Jesus offers you peace. This is a real offer. He's making it to you. We've already seen that in many verses that we've read, but I want to share another passage that's another personal favorite of mine. Listen to this offer that Jesus made in Matthew 11. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, a lot of times I hear people talking about uh, coming to Jesus in a sense that, or in a way that, as if they think Jesus is just going to unload a bunch of hard stuff on them or dump a heavy load on them to bear. Not at all. Jesus offers us rest for our souls. And by the way, that word yoke in that verse is an interesting word in the third line there. Some of you are thinking about the yellow part of an egg right now. That's not what we're talking about here, right? If Mark were up here, he might even say the yoke's on you. Listen, Jesus spoke in a farming context where two farm animals, say cows or oxen or horses, where they're hooked together with a wooden thing called a yoke. So what's the purpose of a yoke anyway? Well, it's to lighten the load. It's to make it easier by cutting the burden in half. So this is a metaphor that Jesus is using. And Jesus is saying, you know, the reason why... Sometimes you're so tired and worn out and burdened is because you're trying to pull this burden all alone. And I never intended for you to do that. Jesus invites us to come to him and connect with him so that he can make our life easier. Now, even though Jesus didn't use that word peace in this verse... I want you to understand that the concept of peace is inherent in the offer he makes here. He talks about rest for your souls. That's involved in the Hebrew concept of peace. 
Jesus offers you peace and rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound good? This is the deepest kind of rest and peace there is. It's something every one of us needs, and it's something that can only be found in Christ. Money can't buy it. The doctor can't prescribe it for you. You can't get this kind of peace from other people. Only Jesus can give you peace and rest for your soul. See, he made you and he wired you the way he did. So he knows exactly everything you and I need. So first we recognize that Jesus has a life-changing, world-altering offer for us. That's, that's a great place to start. And I hope that's something that you're interested in tonight. And here's the next thing that we need to do. The second key is this. Acknowledge that you need a Savior. Acknowledge you need a Savior from your sin. See, it takes humility to admit that you need a Savior. But humility is the pathway to peace. Listen to Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. All means everyone. It means me, it means you. All have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Therefore, we all need his forgiveness. And Jesus came to provide that. Because we all have this problem called sin. We rebel against God's rules. We choose to go our own way. We say, no thanks God, I got it this time. Until, listen, until we come to the place where we're ready to acknowledge our sin and deal with it, we will never have peace with God. I like the way Charles Spurgeon put it. This is what he said. There can be no peace between you and Christ while there is peace between you and sin. Think about that. So that's the second step. Acknowledge that you are a sinner and that you need a savior. And here's the next step. Third, receive God's gift by faith. Receive God's gift by faith. God saw our problem. He provided the solution for us. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross and to rise again. Jesus paid the penalty so our relationship with God could be restored. Romans 6 puts it like this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has this free gift that he's offering. Now we have a choice to make at this point. You know, like those gifts that are under the tree at home? You have a choice about those as well. Not a hard choice, okay? You can either leave them there and refuse to open them, or you can pick them up and unwrap them, and you can enjoy the gift inside. Okay? Here's one more verse about this gift that Christ offers us. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Listen, God wants you to receive his gift of forgiveness. He went to great expense to provide this gift for you. And when we put our faith in Jesus and ask him to forgive us, this gift becomes ours. Again, we can't earn it by doing good things. We will never receive it by trying to be religious or spiritual, okay? But we can receive it as a gift by faith. 
And I want to give you a chance to receive this gift of peace and forgiveness tonight in just a few minutes. But first, I have three next steps for you to consider. Three simple applications I'd like you to think about with me. The first one is this. I will share the hope of Christmas with others. I'll share the hope of Christmas with others. You see, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have an amazing gift to share. Greatest gift of all. Peace with God which leads to peace within and produces peace with others as well. Listen, beloved, he is the only solution. So keep pointing people to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Next step two is this. I will seek peace in my relationships. If you are wrestling at all with relational peace in your life, I want to strongly encourage you to lean into a closer relationship with Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. He's waiting to help you with this. So make it your priority to to grow spiritually, to really get to know Jesus this new year, to study his word, to let him fill you with his spirit and grow in your peace. And remember, all of that begins with a personal relationship with Jesus. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about developing a relationship with Christ. And that's the third thing. I will receive God's gift of peace and hope. So we just explained how we do that. And I want to give you an an opportunity right now to receive him by prayer if you're ready to do that tonight. Notice the prayer on the bottom of your sermon notes tonight. I want to read that with you uh, just before we pray. Let me read that. It says, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask you for forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my life. I want to trust and follow you as my leader and savior. Amen. Would you bow with me, please? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for sending the gift of Jesus into our world. And we thank you that he is indeed our wonderful counselor. He is mighty God in the flesh. He's the everlasting Father and our Prince of Peace. Thank you for such a fantastic gift. And at this point, I just want to pray and offer everyone an opportunity to receive him as Savior if they haven't already. So friend, if that's you, I invite you in your heart of hearts to just silently pray along with me. You can say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask you for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my life tonight. I want to trust you and follow you as my leader and savior. In Jesus' name, I pray. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to make peace with you through Jesus and to experience peace within, the peace of God in our hearts and peace with others. Lord, we also want to acknowledge tonight that the ultimate peace that we long for will not be experienced until Jesus comes again and brings the kingdom of God to the earth. And so we would pray also tonight, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long for that day that you come again and you set up perfect peace and justice and you reign upon the earth in your glory. Until then, God, we pray that you would fill us with your peace. And let us be instruments of peace to others. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said...